What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Mean Old Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls with me, Dr. Plenty. Today, we're going to talk about diabetes. This is National Diabetes Awareness Month. As many of you know, this disease definitely plagues African Americans and our community. A 2017 NIH study published in JAMA noted that black people were significantly more likely to develop diabetes in their lifetime, with the highest discrepancy in number being between black women and white women. Black women had 66 per thousand more cases than white women, which is a shame. Diabetes in itself is a disease that occurs when blood sugar um, or glucose is too high. Blood glucose uh, in your bodies is your body's main source of energy. I'll repeat that sentence. Blood glucose is your body's main source of energy. Insulin, a hormone made from the pancreas, helps glucose get into your body to be used for energy. In type 2 diabetes, your body doesn't make enough insulin because your cells have become resistant to it. So, meaning if you're eating a whole bunch of stuff, fried chicken and cake, that releases a whole bunch of glucose into uh, your body. And Insulin is released as glucose is released to try to get that blood sugar into cells. But your cells then become so bombarded by the amount of glucose it's exposed to and the amount of insulin that it's no longer sensitive. So the cells no longer want to take up um, glucose. In type 1 diabetes, the pancreas just doesn't make insulin at all. Therefore, you can eat and you have all of this glucose that's circulating but your body's cells can't take it up. So um, you uh, then can have an extremely high glucose level, although your cells are starving for glucose. People with gestational diabetes are those that do not have pre-existing diabetes, so they don't have type 1 or type 2 diabetes, but they develop diabetes during the pregnancy only. Women with risk factors for diabetes, meaning if they're African-American, Hispanic, if they are morbidly obese, if they have a strong family history of diabetes, etc., they uh, are tested very early in the pregnancy to make sure they don't have pre-existing type 2 diabetes. And then if they pass that screen, they are then tested and screened again for um, diabetes at 26 to 30 weeks um, for gestational diabetes. Why do we get diabetes or can we get diabetes just in the pregnancy? That's because hormones such as human placental lactogen or HPL, cortisol, which, you know, you've probably seen those commercials that says 
cortisol releases body fat. Um, and so there's all these things targeted at decreasing your tar- your cortisol to drop your belly fat. Well, that hormone is increased in pregnancy. And so is estrogen. And these hormones have blocking effects on insulin. As I said, insulin helps us absorb glucose into the cells. This is why women can develop diabetes only during the pregnancy. Women who get diabetes during pregnancy have a 50% lifetime risk of diabetes within 10 years of developing gestational diabetes. And so that's why it's extremely important to talk about type 1 and type 2 diabetes in pregnancy, but also gestational diabetes and its effects to help reduce our risk later on. Um, during this National Diabetes Awareness Month. So we'll go to our medical resident to see, to talk about our first case. Our first case is a 34-year-old black woman. She is 35 weeks pregnant with her third child. She had gestational diabetes with her second child, but not with her first. She is on a medicine called metformin, but her doctor recently told her she had to switch to insulin. She is petrified of needles and has yet to start it. She didn't have to start it with her previous pregnancy and her baby did fine. Her doctor is stressing that she needs to take injections and that she will likely need to deliver a little early. She doesn't want to do either. How can she avoid needing to give herself injections? Isn't it unsafe to deliver early? I see this scenario play over and over and over because I see a lot of people with diabetes in pregnancy, particularly with gestational diabetes. And um, I feel like I'm probably this patient's doctor. (laughs) And she probably wants me to talk about her case on the air. Um, But no, seriously, if you are on metformin, metformin is a medicine that helps increase the sensitivity of your cells to insulin. So like I said before, if you have type 1 diabetes, you're not making insulin. But if you have type 2 diabetes, you're making insulin, but your cells just aren't sensitive to the insulin that your body makes. So metformin is just making your cells more sensitive so that you can then absorb glucose into your cells. Now, during pregnancy, your hormone level goes up and up and up. And so you will become more resistant during pregnancy. Pregnancy is just an insulin resistant state altogether, even if you're not resistant enough to have gestational diabetes. So the fact that you started off with metformin and now you want to be you need to be switched to insulin is very, very common. Because if you haven't changed your diet and you know, metformin is only going to work so long. And even if you have changed your diet, because of the amount of hormones your body is producing throughout the pregnancy, you could just be more and more resistant. And if that's the case, your body needs more insulin to overcome that resistance. So it is absolutely correct that if you are not at goal, you need to be switched to insulin. So goal, meaning in pregnancy, which is different than outside of pregnancy, your fasting should be somewhere between 70 to 95 milligrams per deciliter. So when you check your finger stick, you should be less than 95, essentially. And then after you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, two hours later, your blood sugar should be 120 or less. Uh, If you're checking one hour after uh, your meals, it should be 140 or less. If you're not at those goals, um, then there's a problem because those goals tell us 
how much of a risk your baby has. People don't understand that insulin that you give yourself doesn't cross the placenta to the baby. So the baby is not exposed to that. Metformin can cross the placenta in very, very, very small amounts. Um, Not the same amount that you give yourself, but just very minute amounts. So the risk of continuing metformin when you're not controlled is that glucose that just crosses the placenta readily, so your baby's exposed to all this blood sugar, and then metformin crosses the placenta. Once that cord is clamped, your baby will have made all this insulin, its own insulin, as a result of how much blood sugar it's been exposed to from you. And then it still has your metformin hanging around. So the baby's blood sugar then tanks. So there's a huge risk of what's called neonatal hypoglycemia, meaning the baby's blood glucose is low. And if a baby's blood glucose drops so low, then that baby can have complications like the baby's in a a neonatal coma. So we don't want those type of complications to happen. So if you are on metformin and you're not controlled, it's very, very pertinent that you are switched to insulin to help control your blood glucose so that your baby is only exposed to an amount that is 120 or less as it crosses the placenta and a fasting amount of less than 95. We start to see an increased risk of stillbirth, meaning your baby passing away inside of the uterus, even with fastings that are at 100. So that's why that 95, people are like, oh, can you have a little wiggle room? Can it be 97 or 98? No, the 95 is a wiggle room because it really should be 70 to 90 with a wiggle room to 95 or less. So once we start to see fastings of 100, we know, hey, this is the increased risk of stillbirth land. And so it's very, 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 very important to try to get you under control. And the easiest way to get somebody controlled with any type of diabetes is by switching to insulin. Let's talk about risk factors in addition to stillbirth in a baby. So I know that for this patient, her doctor recommends that she delivers early. That's absolutely true. If you're not controlled, meaning you don't or you're not at those goal levels, then you should be delivered somewhere around the 37th week. That's full term. Why? Because we're not gamblers. We know that there's a higher risk of stillbirth after the 38th week and people that are not controlled. To avoid that, we're going to deliver you at 37 because that's full term. We've gotten you all the way there. It's time to build. 37-week babies go home. They go home with you. They usually don't have any complications and they have a very low NICU admission rate. So we're going to get to 37 weeks and bail. That is the right thing to do. When you're uncontrolled, um, what can happen is that we start to see an increased risk of stillbirth at 38 weeks, and we don't want that to happen. In addition to the risk of stillbirth, some babies that are born to diabetic moms that are uncontrolled can have a whole bunch of fluid around them, and that's called polyhydramnios, meaning too much fluid. And when we see too much fluid, that tells us, okay, one, the baby's placenta or the afterbirth is, is having too much glucose crossing it, And so the placenta, which makes fluid, is working way too hard. So we have all this this fluid. That in itself, even if you don't have diabetes, is an increased risk of stillbirth, of unknown etiology. So those people are delivered early, even if they don't have diabetes. But that is a common complication of diabetics. And then some babies are just big. Um, They're huge. And so when we get to the point where we're delivering a baby that's like over nine pounds, then your, your OBGYN would offer you a C-section instead of trying to deliver vaginally because those babies have a higher risk of getting stuck in the birth canal 
And if they get stuck, that can cause some nerve damage in the shoulder, and that's called a shoulder dystocia. If you Google that, it can be detrimental because 20% of the time, those nerves in the shoulder can have permanent nerve damage. So then your baby can have what's called a palsy or what's called an herbs palsy where they can't really use their hand. Nobody wants their baby to not be able to use a whole arm. So let's avoid those complications. Um, we also don't want our baby's glucose to just drop like we said before, meaning your blood sugar of the baby's just high because that puts the baby at risk for a coma. And then babies that are born to moms with uncontrolled diabetes, whether that's gestational type 1 or type 2, do have a higher risk of childhood obesity, childhood onset diabetes, problems with high cholesterol, um, and um, specifically high triglycerides. And that can cause a whole bunch of other problems like heart disease and things like that. So we want to avoid all those risks. And so um, for this case, I would definitely recommend that this patient is started on insulin immediately to control her. And I would also agree with her OBGYN that she should be delivered um, at 37 weeks. This patient should have also seen someone like me, who's a maternal fetal medicine specialist, um, to make sure that the size of the baby's okay, um, as well as to counsel her about the importance of diabetes and control of diabetes in the pregnancy, and perhaps with some management of the insulin during uh, pregnancy. So for the case pearl, your diabetes must be well controlled to avoid adverse risk to your baby. Okay, and if it's not well controlled, we don't want anything to happen. The right thing to do would be to deliver you at 37 weeks. Medical resident, what's our second case for today? Mrs. James is a 38-year-old who just delivered her second child. She has type 2 diabetes, which was somewhat well-controlled on insulin and chronic hypertension for which she was taking Procardia XL. She was being followed for weekly fetal testing by a maternal fetal medicine specialist who recommended delivery at 37 weeks. However, she tested positive for COVID-19. Although she wasn't symptomatic, the delivery was pushed back a week. When she went in, she was diagnosed with a stillbirth. How did that happen? So there are a lot of national protocols that's coming out about when to deliver patients that test positive for COVID-19. Unfortunately, this patient had a lot of risk factors for bad things to happen during the pregnancy, which is why um, as a maternal fetal medicine specialist, if you're not extremely well controlled, I'm going to recommend delivery at 37 weeks because that's exactly full term and get out. And that's to avoid complications that can happen later on. Now, I'm not really sure how this stillbirth happened. Um, I think it's unfortunate that this patient has lost her baby. But I see this often when people either don't want to be delivered at 37 weeks as recommended or Something else has happened, meaning they can't get scheduled in the hospital. There's something socially that's going on that, that causes them to not want to be delivered. Or um, in this situation, this patient got COVID-19. COVID-19 in itself is a risk factor for stillbirth. COVID-19 we know can cross the placenta, although its incidence is lower, meaning the chance of your baby getting COVID-19, if you get COVID-19, is only about 4% based on the latest studies. But if your baby gets it, then we know that there can be some detrimental effects, meaning little strokes in the brain. Um, and even if your, your, your testing isn't positive for your baby, women that have COVID-19 
have underlying lung injury from that disease process, and they may not be delivering enough oxygen through the placenta to their baby. Um, so that does in itself increase the risk of stillbirth. Now, for this patient, she had type 2 diabetes, who somewhat well-controlled to me means not controlled. So you can't be somewhat well-controlled. You have to be controlled or uncontrolled. So either the majority of your finger sticks are going to be at goal, meaning your fastings are 95 or less, and two hours after your meals are 120 or less, or they're not. So if half your blood sugars are above those levels, then you are not controlled, and that definitely puts you at risk for stillbirth. Um, she also had high blood pressure. When we say chronic hypertension, you may have heard your OBGYN or your provider say chronic hypertension versus the words essential hypertension or secondary hypertension. Chronic hypertension is just all-encompassing for anybody that had high blood pressure before pregnancy. It's chronic. If you had high blood pressure during the pregnancy, it's gestational. So when we say chronic, I'm not defining what type of hypertension you had. It just defined that you had hypertension or high blood pressure before the pregnancy occurred. So that in itself is a risk factor for stillbirth because you have some underlying vascular injury there. And if you're not controlled, well controlled on medicine, then you would need to be delivered earlier anyway by itself at 37 weeks. If you're controlled on medicine, then you can go all the way to 39 weeks. So for me, this OBGYN recommending or maternal fetal medicine specialist recommending delivery at 37 weeks tells me one of two things. Either her diabetes wasn't well controlled or her blood pressure wasn't well controlled. And she also has one other risk factor is that she's 38 years old. Now, your risk of uh, stillbirth does go up uh, after age 35, but it's usually not significant until you're over age 39. So, uh, yes, that is a small risk factor, but it's not a big risk factor in this picture. I would lean more towards the diabetes that may or may not have been controlled, um, the high blood pressure or chronic hypertension, um, or the fact that she tested positive for COVID-19. Now, the real question is, should her delivery been moved a week because of COVID-19? And I would argue probably not, right? So if a maternal fetal medicine specialist recommending that you deliver at 37 weeks and you test positive for COVID-19, yes, if you were not, if you went to preterm labor, then yes, they would try to get you healthy first. Meaning if you had symptoms, we don't want to deliver somebody with symptomatic lung disease during a crisis, a lung crisis, because that can make the mom tank. Um, so we want to make sure the mom is as healthy as possible during delivery. But this patient was not symptomatic. And so theoretically, if there's an indication for delivery at 37 weeks, she should have been put in a negative pressure room. Her visitor should have had on an N95 mask and shield and um, some protective gear. And so should have the providers, but she should have been I would have recommended that she proceed with a vaginal delivery. Now, I know some hospitals have protocols in place because of COVID to try to get patients over the hump. But when you're already term and you have these other risk factors, um, you know, I don't know the whole situation involved. So I can't say they definitely shouldn't have pushed the delivery back a week. But if it was as straightforward as the case seems, then I would. And, and there were no symptoms actually involved then I would have advocated for delivery at 37 weeks and to just take precautions of delivery. And those precautions are really because moms that 
have COVID-19 can get very, very symptomatic after delivery, even if they have no symptoms during the pregnancy. Pregnancy causes fluid to double. And after delivery, that fluid can shift and it can shift into the lungs very rapidly over the course of 24 hours. And so if you already have some underlying lung injury and you don't even know it, and then you deliver, well, yeah, it can put moms in the ICU. We see that happen all the time. But um, I still would have taken that risk and taken precautions um, because now we have a stillbirth on our hands. And I know that hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, but for this case, I think this is very, very sad. Um, I think that this is one of the complications that we try to avoid of diabetes. Um, if you are pregnant right now, the best thing you can do to avoid the risk of COVID-19 is to stay out of the way. Stay home if you can. And if you can't stay home, wear a mask so that you do not contract COVID-19 because you don't want that to be an extra step and an extra barrier um, in the way of you delivering. And you don't want that to be detrimental as it could have been the cause uh, in, in this case. Case pearl for this is delivery should be done early in people that have diabetes that is not well controlled. Um, and delivery should be done early also in people that have chronic hypertension that's not well controlled. Uh, and so don't fight your doctor on that. Um, try to get delivered early. And if somebody's told you you're going to deliver early and then they're pushing your delivery back a week, ask them, why is it that I'm being delivered a little bit later now? Like what changes and how am I going to be monitored to make sure that my baby remains safe while I wait? So um, I think that this is unfortunate. Um, uh, I think that to advocate for yourself, if somebody says you need to deliver early and you're pushed back because of something like COVID-19 or staffing, you know, ask, you know, what, what are you doing to protect my baby? Am I going to be admitted for monitoring the whole time to avoid something like this that, that could have adversely happened and probably could have been prevented? So medical residents, do we have any email cases today? We do. So this one says, hey, Dr. Plenty, I'm a 27-year-old with type 1 diabetes. I'm not pregnant, but wanted to ask about how to become prepared for pregnancy. I'm on an insulin pump managed by my endocrinologist. How do I know when I'm ready to try to conceive to reduce my risk of complications? Should I stay on an insulin pump during my future pregnancy? Please help. So type 1 diabetics are some of the hardest diabetics to control during pregnancy. And that's because all diabetics are not the same sensitivity. Excuse me. All diabetics don't have the same sensitivity to insulin. And I say that because with some type 1 diabetics, I can give them one unit of insulin because their blood sugar is 200 and that unit dropped them to 150. And in other diabetics that are type 1 I have to give them five units of insulin to get that same drop. So uh, diabetics, uh, especially type 1s, can be very, very brittle in that um, they're hard to control and they can react uh, very much more sensitively to insulin, way more sensitive than a type 2 diabetic um, with the same dosing. So um, the best thing for any type 1 diabetic to do is to make sure that they, one, talk to their endocrinologist about their control and how they should change their control before they get pregnant. Because type 1 diabetics tell me all the time, I'm not used to taking this much insulin. 
Um, I know my body. I feel different. I don't want to be this low. I understand that you're not used to living at those diabetic, those, those levels, those pregnancy levels, because they're a lot lower than you need to be outside of pregnancy. But our goal as maternal fetal medicine specialists is to make sure you're healthy and to make sure your baby gets here safely. And for a lot of type 1 diabetics, that may mean that you are on a lot more insulin because pregnancy causes you to be resistant, remember, to insulin, and you're already not making any insulin. So we have to give you more insulin during the pregnancy. Sometimes I have to almost double insulin levels by the end of the pregnancy in a type 1 diabetic. So I would say definitely talk to your your endocrinologist to see how management would change during pregnancy. And then, two, you want your hemoglobin A1C, that number that tells you what your average blood sugar level has been over the last three months, that number should be around 6%. We'll accept less than 7 And so if you are at 6%, then you know you're ready. You know you're ready to have a baby because the chance of you having complications from pregnancy because of your diabetes is extremely low. The chance of your baby having something bad happen is extremely low. Type 1 and type 2 diabetics have um, an increased risk of having not only stillbirths later on in the pregnancy, but the biggest risk is during the first trimester before you even know you're pregnant. You can have a baby that has major heart defects, major brain defects, spinal cord defects. And so before you get pregnant, once you make up your mind, hey, I'm ready to have a baby, you need to start taking folic acid because you have a higher risk of having a baby with spina bifida or spinal cord defect. And diabetics should really, we tell people that are non-diabetic to increase their um, folic acid by 800 micrograms. Really, diabetics should be taking 2 milligrams of folic acid, so 2,000 micrograms because of, because of that significantly higher risk. The other thing that, uh, that diabetics can have is an increased risk of heart defect, and that is the most common thing that, diabetics, that diabetic babies um, can have. And that increased risk can be something small like just a little hole in the heart or something major that requires several surgeries to correct. And so uh, people that have a hemoglobin A1C that's at 8% or above have an extremely high risk of having a a baby with a heart defect. So you want to make sure your risk is as close to a non-diabetic risk as possible. And getting hemoglobin A1C below that 7% will get you there. So our goal is to get you at a 6%. People that have diabetes uh, in pregnancy, they will need a detailed ultrasound by a maternal fetal medicine specialist so that we can look at the baby from head to toe around 18 to 20 weeks to make sure nothing like a brain or spinal cord or heart defect has happened in your baby. And then you also need, if you're a type 1 or type 2 diabetic, what's called a fetal echo. And that is just another ultrasound that's done between 20 and 24 weeks just to look at the heart in more detail. We look at the heart valves. We look at the middle portion of the heart called the septum. We look at the blood flow in and out of the heart. And that's because the most common um, defect your baby can have is a heart defect. And so we want to make sure we look at that in great detail. And that is done by either a maternal fetal medicine specialist or, or uh, a, a pediatric cardiologist that is trained specifically to do echoes on babies inside of the uterus. 
That's not going to be done by your general OBGYN. So if you're a diabetic, you need these high-risk scans to make sure that your baby is healthy during the pregnancy. Should you be on an insulin pump or not? If you're controlled on an insulin pump before pregnancy, which you should be to know that you're ready, then I love continuing patients on an insulin pump. Insulin pumps are convenient for patients. It allows you to constantly monitor your blood glucose throughout the day without having to constantly give yourself um, injections um, because you have a pump there. And sometimes we can set those pumps to give you a sliding scale if your blood sugar ends up being a little bit higher than normal. Um, pumps require patients to be able to count carbohydrates um, because you have to know how to calculate how much insulin to give yourself during boluses after meals. And so if you're not good at counting carbohydrates and you're just giving yourself estimated boluses, then it would not be good for you to be on an insulin pump during pregnancy, even if you're at goal. If you can't adjust your pump, if you can't follow carbs or count carbs, then you would need to be switched to giving yourself injections. And I would say switch that before the pregnancy so that you can familiarize yourself with how to manage yourself before you get pregnant. But if you're controlled on the insulin pump and you're comfortable with it, then yeah, I think an insulin pump is the way to go. And you can definitely stay on an insulin pump for the duration of the pregnancy. Um, and that insulin pump will be adjusted by your OBGYN, endocrinologist, or your maternal fetal medicine specialist, whichever one of those are managing your uh, pump during your pregnancy. And then after delivery, the settings are usually turned back down to what they were during the pre-pregnant state. Um, also, diabetics, uh, once you get pregnant, once you're ready to get pregnant and you get pregnant, you should start aspirin somewhere around the 12th week. Um, and so for diabetics, I usually, it's better to start it earlier than, the, than late. So if you want to start it at eight weeks, that's fine too. But the literature recommends 12 weeks, um, and that's to reduce your risk of um, preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure, and protein in your urine. And that can cause you to have eclampsia, which is high blood pressure and a seizure during pregnancy. And it can also be very life-threatening. It can cause you to have a stroke. Um, it can even cause um, uh, moms to pass away during or after pregnancy. So aspirin, taking that very early during the pregnancy, helps reduce your risk um, by about 15%. So we want to make sure that all of our diabetics know that. Um, if, you are, if you are diabetic and your OBGYN has not started you on aspirin, you should ask them why. Um, the most common reason that people are not started on aspirin that are diabetic during the pregnancy is because they may have had some bleeding issues. But if you're done with those bleeding issues and you are less than 26 weeks, then you should really be started on it to reduce your risk um, of having uh, preeclampsia, which I said can be very detrimental um, during a pregnancy. Thanks so much for listening to our sugar diabetes episode in celebration of National Diabetes Awareness Month. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash 
Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.